good morning. I had planned uh, to say a few things before I uh, before I said let's do an arriving meditation. But the truth is, I got so excited to see everybody coming, and I'm so thrilled with being here, and I'm so excited to look at everybody who's in every one of these little boxes. So I think that um, I've been admiring that Heidi does arriving meditation when she teaches on Wednesday mornings. So let's do an arriving meditation for three or four minutes. Uh, people are still arriving into the room. People are online. People are on uh, live stream. Uh, I'm thrilled to see you. So in this uh, arriving, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at um, I'm going to look at uh, all the pages of people and look at the the, the gallery view, and uh, it'll probably won't um, make me any less excited than I am. But it'll make me so pleased and so soothed. It'll give me a chance to gather myself together. So I'd like to invite you to use this time either to gather yourself together by taking some long, deep breaths and letting them out and following them from beginning to end, or by focusing on the pleasure you have in your mind. I hope you have pleasure in anticipation to us being together, all of us, for this morning's time so that... Um, both your body is thought of and held in consciousness and your mind and your mind state. We'll just take a few minutes, feel your breath. And if you want to look around at the people and see them, you've been seeing them, those of you who have been in class every week, but I haven't seen you. And now I do. And this is so fun. Oh, look who's there and look who's there and look who's there. And I'm thrilled to see you. This is so great. This is great. Hello. Hello. I'm looking around. I watched the chat as you chatted in where you are. And there are people in Berlin. And there are people in France. And there are people in the south of Sweden. They might be my son-in-law's parents, for all I know, because they are there. But it just says where they're from. Look at that. I am delighted. Thank you so much. There we are. And there's Heidi. I'm so happy to see you, dear. This is not as soothing as your usual close your eyes and make yourself here. I just told everybody, close, don't close your eyes, make yourself there. <laughs> but you know what? It's the same thing. Make yourself here allows me to really look at you all where you are. And uh, I thought about just this morning when I was putting together the last things I wanted to say, I thought to myself, this is one of those experiences of interconnectedness. We all of us have separate lives all over the place and all over the world in France and Sweden and Berlin and Germany. And, and I didn't read every single chat. So, 
Uh, we've come from all these different places and each of us at the end of these two hours will disappear back into our spaces, all of our living rooms or our bedrooms or wherever we are all over the world. But we will have been together for two hours. And what passes here, maybe from what I say or what you discover in your meditations or what we think about together, is we end this two hours somewhat different, I hope, feeling maybe different, I hope. And then we go back into our lives. And it's such a, 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 um, a reassurance to me or it's such a uh, resonance to me with the idea of everything is personal and universal. If we recognize that we are all in some way connected, what we do here together in this hour, if it picks up people's moods and in any way and uh, soothes people's minds in any way, then a hundred and a lot of people go back into their worlds and their personal world is different and that, that maybe spreads over the world. You know what I always think about? I guess we're finished with the arriving meditation thing. Now we're here. <laughs> uh, the story about the Buddha, uh, the stories about the Buddha after his enlightenment and the many decades of teaching that he did is he sent out monks all over the world or he sent them out into where they knew of the world into by, by foot at that point to the various provinces of India. And I always have had the little, the image in my mind of those lines, go forth, O monks. And uh, I, I've been amending it uh, in recent years, go forth, O monks and nuns. And I've been amending it to go forth, O people, and spread the holy dharma in the idiom of the people. And I have um, a graphic in my mind that looks like the graphics in the back of airline bulletins. You know, when you travel in an airline and you look in the back, it shows you their hub city. And then it shows you all those little curved lines to where in the world that airline flies. And I imagine those little monks going forth and crossing over Asia and then paddling across the sea to Japan and then going up to Tibet and to Burma and to uh, Thailand and go forth, oh, seekers and teachers, go forth and spread the Holy Dharma in the idiom of the people. And we are the current iteration of that, not the last, but who I tell will tell people will tell people. And what they'll tell people is that it's possible in the middle of a complicated, complex, ever challenging life to still maintain a heart that's kind and a heart that's um, compassionate, a heart that's companionable, no matter what's going on. I heard uh, my friend Sharon, sorry, my friend and teacher and colleague, Sharon Salzberg, some while ago, while after the pandemic had started, talking about uh, I, I took this line from her, so I'm holding up the line to tell you in a minute. She said, what life is so complex now and so not what we're used to. We can't go out in the way we used to. We can't know what to expect. You never know where the virus is going to pop up. 
Our life seems more challenged than ever I've known it in my life. In ways globally. Uh, and still what she said, which is a title, if I had a title for today's talk, is what is still true. What is still true? It's all different. But there are things that are still true. It's still true that life is precious, that a human birth that comes out well and perfect is amazing. It's still true. It's still true that anger is never ended by anger. There are still basic lessons that haven't changed. And one of the things about Dharma, one of the things about me in the last year is um, it seems to me that I haven't learned anything new when I told the Rachel Uris, who's one of the administrators at Spirit Rock, that I was coming back to teach. Uh, and she said, great. And I said, you know, I've been uh, thinking that this year for me has been like a very long and intense retreat. Um, I, we never, we, none of us went out very much. We were all, most of us, except if we had vital work or important errands to do, went out. Um, I really was mostly sequestered for the whole year. M most of you, many of you know that, um, well, the extreme sequestering was, first of all, I'm old. And second of all, my husband was dying. He had um, been sick for two years before he died now, seven weeks ago. He'd been sick for two years and we knew that his illness was a terminable illness that wasn't fixable. Uh, and um, that his lungs were affected. So I was very extremely careful not to go out, not to contract any kind of iteration of COVID, lest I spread it to them, to him. Um, so I, I had, uh, uh, from the beginning, an ongoing awareness of the ways in which I shared my situation with everybody else on the planet, except for that very personal detail. I thought to myself, what's true is we, we, we frequently say everything is interconnected and everything matters to everybody. Everything doesn't seem to matter to everybody most of the time. But for the past couple of years, the idea that the whole world was imperiled by this illness. There's no place that the COVID wasn't. That I shared the sense of being imper imperiled with the whole world. And even larger than that, the virus, I always thought would come and go. You know what's an interesting thing? I may be, because of my age, one of the few people who has a, a, a family connection to the um, flu in 1918. My, uh, my mother's sister married in 1941 when I was five years old. And I remember learning about my new uncle Irving that his father had died in the 1918 pandemic. 
and I heard about that there had been a terrible flu and that Uncle Irving's father had come home from his small grocery store that he owned in, in the Bronx, New York, came home one day and said, I don't feel well and died the next day. That was one of the first things I knew about my Uncle Irving, who had a really long and uh, fruitful in every way life with my Aunt Miriam and died at 85 after a life of good health. But I knew this particular thing that he was 13 and his father died from one day to the next. And I thought to myself, ah, oh, those kinds of things happen to people. And everybody didn't talk about it. Uncle Irving never talked about it. It was as if it happened and it passed and it went on. And I didn't think of that every time I saw Uncle Irving. But when this flu started, I thought to myself, ah, oh, I remember about this. Every century it happens, it looks like. Things happen all of a sudden that you don't. And I began to think as I was in my house all the time, by the way, the name of this talk is What is Still True? And what I want to talk about is those teachings of the Buddha, which were true 2,500 years ago, became much more relevant and much more apparent to me now. I'm going back to a paragraph that I left out because I'm not reading and I'm remembering, not exactly in order. When I told Rachel Uris, one of the administrators, that I was coming back to teach, she said, uh, you know, what? that's great. What are, what are you going to teach about? Did you learn something new? So I didn't learn anything that I didn't know before, but I learned it better. That And that really is the coda of what I see that different people are, are, are nodding their heads. I see that Chaya is nodding her head. How many people know that, that during this time of COVID, you learn things that uh, that you didn't know before. I see Brahmini knows. Betty Malloy, I was just thinking about you, Betty. I'm so glad to see you. I haven't seen you in years. I knew, well, I'm glad to see you. I'm really happy about that. But how many people really learned, would you say, like I, I just said the phrase before, this precious human life. How many people had the feeling during this year that this is a really precious human life? and so precarious, so precarious. That brings tears in my eyes, everybody mostly putting their hands up. And I think to myself, why is it when something happens that sweeps over the whole world and everybody is at risk and then some people carry through and other people don't, well, how come the people who carry through don't all say to themselves, wow, life is very precious. Let's all turn all our plows into, all our, uh, uh, our swords into plowshares right now. Let's make peace. Let's not fight with anybody anymore. Let's not get caught up in ideologies and kill each other for it. Life is really precious to have a, to have a child or have a family where people are doing well and all of a sudden everybody is imperiled. Everybody is in peril. So I thought about that. How come? Maybe after this one, maybe after this pandemic, 
is no longer unfolding and there seems to be maybe an end of it. Making a list of what have I learned better. So I, I told um, Rachel, said, I don't know anything new, but I know things better. This morning, by the way, in the New York Times, there's an article by Frank Bruni, and it's called, uh, What Have We Learned? So it's like when you came back to school in the end of uh, summer vacation, and the teacher would always say, what did you do on your summer vacation? And then when you go away for a sabbatical, people say, what did you learn on your vacation? So I think that the same things that the Buddha said, that's what I learned over and over and over again. And the end of it is, I think, I'll tell you some stories, because I think that um, in a certain way, it was good for my mind. Um, it was good for my mind in a number of ways that I want to tell you about that I learned. And, uh, and it also showed me what I have yet to learn. So I'll tell you about that too. Where do I want to start? Now I'm going to look and see where I want to start. Uh, so uh, this is maybe where I want to start. I noticed to begin with that um, my mind was changing even without my thinking about changing. I noticed that my mind was like on a long retreat. How many people have ever been on a retreat where you sleep over, you go, you stay there, or maybe you've taken one online? So you remember that on the second day, on the first day is kind of hard, and the second day a little bit better. Third day you settle down little bit more, a little bit more. And notice, I began to notice all the time with subtle clues, like if on the first day I was sitting in the dining room and someone uh, uh, dropped a dish on the floor and it clattered to the floor, I would startle. And that a week into it, someone dropped a dish. You just say, oh, somebody dropped a dish. You keep, and you keep on eating. In the meditation hall, somebody slammed the door the first day or the second day you jump and you think, oh, why did they slam the door? Don't they know this is a meditation hall? And then later on, someone slams the door and you say, oh dear, they must have been late. Maybe they were worried about being late. Person who came on retreat and sitting next to you is um, sniffling and coughing. Of course, now it would be really different, but sniffling and coughing and you think to yourself, why did they come on this retreat? They're sniffling and coughing or they should have stayed in their room till they got better. And why did they, why do I have this bad luck that they're sitting right next to me? So only negative thoughts about the situation. And the fourth or fifth day, they're still looking red in the eyes and a little bit coughing less, but a little bit coughing. And you think, oh dear, I'm so sorry. They're missing this whole retreat because they're sick. So I have plenty of background uh, experiences of the mind by itself calming down and in the calm down, having another view. It's not, I still think maybe they shouldn't have come or they should have sat in the back or should have they stayed in their room and just listened to the tapes. It doesn't change all the commentary about it, but the harshness of my response changes the harshness of the response and I think it's because 
my mind has calmed down and it isn't that it likes the situation. It thinks these things happen. Everything happens. All kinds of things happen that you don't like. The first noble truth is everything happens. All kinds of things happen that you don't like. I was, I was, had myself a, um, I made myself a, uh, a challenge yesterday. Could I write the whole of the Dharma in one sentence? I think I did. And now I think I can't find it. So it's okay. <laughs> I did a pretty good job of it though. Wait, wait, wait. Probably it went like this. The whole of what the Buddha taught is life, although life is inevitably challenging to everyone, everything from global warming to I can't find my reading glasses and my short-term memory is poor. Everything is, life is filled with challenges. Although life is filled with challenges for everyone, it's possible to live a life that's engaged and involved and energized on behalf of ending suffering for oneself and for all beings. And the hours of long sentence and the end of uh, ending suffering in one's own mind and feeling helpful to all beings is that produces a state of happiness and gratitude in one's mind that paying attention ultimately results in, in happiness. There's the first line of one of the autobiographies of the Dalai Lama, Dalai Lama that says, the purpose of life is to be happy. I remember reading it and thinking that's such a strange first line. I thought it was gonna be the purpose of life is to ser serve, the purpose of life is to something grand. Purpose of life is to be happy. Because in order to be happy, you have to discover that what makes you happy is caring for yourself wisely and caring for other people wisely. I was so pleased to hear yesterday some commentator somewhere saying that uh, in some, not a national survey, but in some survey, uh, maybe in the street somewhere asking passersby, they asked everybody, what do you, are you looking forward to doing when this pandemic ends? And the vast majority, would you like to guess? How many people think they know what the answer is to that? All right, I, I, we can't because of the, the, the complications of being in a, a Zoom, take a poll exactly or have you shouted out. But what they all wanted to, what they mostly all said is I want to hug. I want to hug my friends. I want to hug my, my, my grandchildren. I want to go to visit my mother and hug her. Uh, that most of us want to hug somebody. We miss that. Oh, is that a thing that I don't know about, Elizabeth? Can you touch something that makes a heart on your screen? Everybody knows how to do that? I don't know how to do that. I will have to find out how to do that. <laughs> uh, okay, Alpha. Oh, look, a lot of people can do it. <laughs> All right, so that's one of the things that I haven't yet learned. Oh, Whitney says on the bottom of my screen, I can do it. Well, I have to learn that. Oh, on reactions. There it is. I did it. 
Okay. <laughs> and Heidi did too. So wait a minute, I have to be serious and go on. I spent so much time preparing, I might as well say about what I prepared. So this is what I began to notice about changes in myself. I think that going back to on retreat, I felt kinder when people slammed the door or kinder when people came and uh, uh, was sniffling, kinder when they dropped a dish. I got kinder over this long period of time of being in the house with my husband as he got sicker and sicker and uh, ultimately died. Uh, and I noticed it this way. This is going to be one of my paradigmatic stories that I tell always. Right here where I sit, uh, I have the window open and it's quiet outside today, which is great. Uh, because it's just the right weather for quiet. And on uh, many days, there's a lot of noise. They've been replacing the sewers in Kentfield for a better part of a year. But that has to get done. In my mind... My neighbor does not have to have a leaf-blowing gardener come every week and blow leaves. And for all of the time that that's been going on, which is years, I like my neighbor. They're a friend of mine. I don't even want to bring it up because I don't want to. But my mind, I'm sitting here writing at my computer, and all of a sudden, the leaf blower starts up. Vroom, vroom, vroom. And... Uh, and all, of a, and all the time, until recently, the leaf blower would start up and my mind would say, oh, I have to talk to my neighbor about maybe uh, they could talk to them about raking. Maybe they could do something else. Maybe this, maybe that. I should write to the board of supervisors. It's not a right thing. One day, some a little bit into the pandemic, I'm sitting and I'm writing away. And all of a sudden, vroom, vroom, the leaf blower is happening. And I'm waiting for my litany of annoyance to come up in my mind. And instead, what comes up in my mind is, oh, I'm so glad that person still has a job. I'm still glad that they, you know, they have an employment. It was actually raining that day. And there he is outside, leaf blowing in the rain. May he thrive. May his body be well. May his family be well. And the big thing about that is I thought to myself, that's a strange thought. It was as if I didn't think it. I was getting all ready to think my regular aversive thought about that. And here pops into my mind a much nicer, compassionate thought. And I had the feeling that my mind did that all by itself. I didn't do that. I thought, oh, okay, I have to pay attention to that. I saw, um, wait, 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 I tell you about the, oh, the hospice worker, uh, the hospice worker was wonderful, and she came every week, and she got our drugs renewed, and she was very kind and very solicitous, came every week, she was wonderful, and we really looked forward to her coming, and uh, I remember one day, where we got ready for her to come and we got Seymour ready for the for her visit. And I got a phone call that said, I'm so sorry, but you know, something has come up in emergency. I can't come today. I can, I'll come tomorrow. Or maybe somebody else called to say about that. And in my mind, my mind is starting to say, ah, oh, we just got him all ready. We just organized ourselves. And, 
And but instead, I thought to myself, tomorrow is fine. He's not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Somebody else is sicker. And I thought to myself, that was easy. It's like I, I, every time that I drop the aversive response before I make it or as I'm about to make it, and I know I dropped the aversive response and said something in my mind much nicer. You'll notice I'm behaving as if my mind has a mind of its own, which is a phrase that I learned from Joseph Goldstein many years ago. And it's as if I am an observer or my observer is observing what the mind is doing. And I say, look at that, sweetheart. That was a much nicer response to that. And I'm both, I'm pleased on, I feel good on two counts. One is, look at that. I'm getting to be a nicer person. I like that. And the other one is, uh, this really works. You know, my mind is purifying itself or it's becoming wise. There's no point to getting all fussed up about she's not coming today, she'll come tomorrow. Tomorrow is the same as today. And if she never comes, it's really okay. I mean, she will come, but that my mind became much more reasonable. I'm wondering as I'm talking, because I have no, you're not here in the real, usually I can read, but you get what I'm saying? Every How many people get what I'm saying? Do you, uh, more important than that, how many people see that that's happening to you, that you're getting kinder? Is that a pleasure? You know, that's really wonderful. I remember that the Buddha said this, this it called this practice the purification of the heart. And lo and behold, it, it is. I noticed that I got to be particularly fun of my uh, Amazon drivers that, I had a lot of packages come from Amazon because I didn't go out. And it came through thick and thin and rain, whatever. And they come up the steps and they knock on the door because I and I live way up a driveway and up three slides of stairs. And they they come up, they give me the package. Sometimes you have to sign, sometimes not. But I start, I discovered that I was beginning to say, I hope you're well. Is your family well? Are you okay? Stay well. I got friendlier. I got nicer. I don't think I had such an interest in the Amazon drivers before. But everybody is coming from a situation not different from mine. They're coming from a situation where people are likewise imperiled. And I also thought, and this is really probably the more important one. I thought this is the first time in my life that the whole world is involved in we share this problem, even in World War II, when I was alive and knew what was going on, there were the, the uh, allied forces and the Axis forces. And then there was a whole world that wasn't involved in the fighting. This is a whole world thing. The whole world is melting. The, the temperature of the planet is going up, whether people know it or not, the life on earth is being imperiled every day by the heating of the planet. And all of us if are really jeopardized by it, knowing it or not. The COVID was in every place in the world. I read yesterday online that there was some place where I can't remember whether it was in Greenland or someplace where there was no COVID because nobody has gone in and out for a year, a very remote place. But every place else, there has been also thought about, um, so everybody has this huge problem 
Everybody has a COVID problem. Everybody has economic problem in the whole world. Uh, the, the most of the world is really struggling with economical, economic problems. And I think about the fact that I am probably in the, if, uh, in the what, 1%, 2%, certainly top 5% of people, maybe 2%, maybe one, I don't know. But in comfort, I have a secure house over my head. I have enough. I don't have to worry about taking care of my family. And we are not an unusual family for Marin County. Marin County is usual enough, but uh, but still to not have to worry about day to day getting through. We're really comfortable and to realize that the whole world struggles about how am I going to get through this day? I was so happy about um, the the. Um, the uh, new bill that passed the White House relief for so many people. I think to myself, every time they would say this COVID relief bill is going to lift half the children that are currently in poverty out of poverty. I think to myself, how could that have been true? That in this, the richest country in the world, there is a sizable number of children who live in poverty and that this relief bill will lift 50% of them out of the poverty. But what about the other 50%? And what about, and I think about that. So here, everybody needs to worry about this. Everybody needs to worry about it. Everybody is equal. If they're not worrying about it, they're imperiled by it. They're imperiled by, by political forces. They're uh, in this country, or at least in our part of the country, imperiled by um, by by weather because of the the fires uh, you don't know uh, for those of us who are there on on Wednesdays in person when we used to be oh there is Brahmini right there Brahmini and Ace who were always in class when we were there together in person uh, the house they were living in burned down from you know one hour to the next because of the winds shifting in Napa County. You don't know, you can be free of COVID and have a job and your house burns down with all your stuff. You know, that you, you just don't know. And I keep thinking if only we knew we would be so much nicer to ourselves and to each other. We so would not clutter up our minds with painful recriminating thoughts and we would so not mess up our relationships with recriminating conversations. I think, uh, oh, I, I, I think I've probably said this a hundred times in my teaching career that I, 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 on my first retreat, I was in a private house that had a, a uh, one a, a burrow from redwood forest. Uh, one of those burnished burls that you buy in park national park stores that said life is so difficult how can we be anything but kind and you know in a certain way it's the most uh simple way of saying really life is difficult how can we be anything but kind so i thought a lot about the ways in which everybody in this world is interrelated in health, of our own health, the health of the planet, 
the health of survival, the health of weather, fortitudes. Everybody's got a different story down to this county and down to my street and down to my house. And everybody's final end of their story, we share all this. It's like every time I read how much DNA we share with mice or monkeys or something else, and it's a tremendous amount of DNA that's shared in mammals. And then at the very end, this comes out like people and this comes out like fox terriers or this comes out like something else. And But the tremendous amount of DNA that we share with so many species, let alone people. The uh, um, 23andMe keeps sending me updates on how many people I share DNA with. I have multiple third cousins, according to them. Uh, we probably all do have multiple third cousins. But then at the end, our story is just unique. I would look out and I think over here uh, in my house, my husband is dying. In the house uh, next door on one side, their sons who are uh, graduated from uh, college and bas playing basketball professionally in Spain can't get home because of the pandemic. Uh, on the house on the other side of me, my neighbor it, in the course of the year was diagnosed with a cancer, treated for a cancer, cured of the cancer, and he's better from the cancer all in that one year. The people with the leaf blower got a new puppy who they're training. And that's and the puppy is growing up over the year. Um, even in my house, if I just said, I'm just going to look in my house and see about everything that arises, passes away, which is another one of those things I wrote down, which turns out to be probably the most important teaching of all. They're all the most important teaching. Unless that be like sort of a Zen thing to say, down is up and up is down. That's really what I discovered as I was thinking about what I want to talk about. It's really the same thing. Life is complicated. We can either make it worse by complicating it with unwise habits of the mind, or we can live it happily and uh, um, uh, with gratitude and with enthusiasm for uh, soothing the lives of other people. We have a choice of how we're going to do it. I've been reading um, several weeks ago, maybe pursuant to, to Seymour's dying, which was really in the end um, so expected and so... Um, not a surprise and so well tended by the hospice people and the drugs that they give us. He ended his life saying, um, when he could speak at all, thank you and take good care of yourself. I think that's what people say when they're dying that uh, suddenly becomes clear that that's really the most important thing to say. Thank you and take good care of yourself. I remember thinking that 20 years ago when um, when September 11th, when those planes were hijacked and uh, 
I remember being so tremendously impressed with the people who managed on their cell phones to call the people in their family to say, um, my plane is crashing, I'm not gonna be home. Uh, take good care of the children, take good care of yourself, I love you. And I remember at the time, even as I say it now, don't you have goose pimples when I say that? I, you know, I, I did. Because um, I thought nobody at that time said, you know, I never liked your mother. And, or I, 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 that habit that you had of doing this or that always annoyed me. That does not come up when people are dying. The habit that you had always annoyed me. Habit you had was a habit you had. But here we are, you know. Get to think, why do we not start saying that to people before they're dying? Why do we wait till the end to say, take good care of yourself? Begin to see that uh, things that are supposed to happen don't happen. You think it's not important, didn't have to happen. And you get to see nothing is really important about except that who's living and who's dying and whether I'm contributing kindly to that situation. I think maybe it has to do with uh, when, when there are momentous things happening, like a plane is falling down or you know you're going to die, then your mind gets really spacious. And all the things that you were still holding negatively seemed so trivial. You know, that, you know, that's not important. What's important is that this is the way life is. It carries on. It's full of challenges and surprises and things happen. So another thing caused me to really be reflecting on everything that arises passes away. By the way, that, that very sentence, um, everything that arises passes away, is, pre, is said to be, or in, it's in, in, in the canon, is the next to the last sentence that the Buddha said in his life. Um, all conditioned things uh, transient are all conditioned things is a fancy way to say it. Everything that arises passes away. Uh, a day, a lifetime. And if I, I keep thinking, if everybody only knew it, sometimes we say things like their days are numbered. Everybody, everybody's days are numbered in the sense that we don't, anybody live forever. But sometimes the um, sometimes the number is shorter or longer than people presume, um, but they're limited. And what are you going to do with them? Everybody loves the last line of the Mary Oliver poem. What are you going to do with this one wild and precious life? But we don't think about it. It's one wild and precious life. What are you going to do about it with it? and use it. And I like to think about myself that I like cultivating a spacious mind that gives people the benefit of the doubt because I don't want to clutter, clutter up my mind with negativity. 
I'm going to leave that because we're going to sit soon. I am talking on and on. I just now looked at the clock. <laughs> Some things are still true. <laughs> and if I'm not careful, I talk and talk and talk. <laughs> but that's all right. It's a... Uh, it's, uh, I have to think about it, but it's all right. I've had two vaccines. How many have you had? Anybody had two? I'm looking around at who had two. Generally, you have to be old. Er, yeah. I'm happy to see it. Do you feel better since you've had the two? It is good, uh, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll just continue to do it. And I'm in tremendous awe of the scientists who figured out how to do it. You know, I'm so grateful for it. It's really interesting. Uh, I, have a, I have a colleague, I've become a good friend, who lives in the Midwest, and we've known each other for 20 years. And we've only been in each other's presence probably two weeks in those whole years. Uh, I, we met because I was teaching a retreat 20 years ago that she was on. And we became friends on the phone after that. And last year she was on a retreat that I teach as well because I was teaching it somewhere else and she was there. And But other than that, we talk enough on the phone that I feel I know her. She's gotten 20 years older, so have I. And her daughter, uh, who I've never met personally, went from being a child to graduating from college and having a job uh, in uh, Minnesota in a, in, a, in a biotech laboratory where she works on vaccines. And um, I didn't think about Sarah a lot in my whole life. I mean, I thought about her when I talked to her mother. But all of a sudden, I mean, when I think about my friend, the mother, my colleague, I think about my friend, the mother, the colleague, who has a daughter who's working on vaccines. May she thrive. You know, I'm thinking that really if we, if I did that on the largest sense, here is someone, and what's a one, an extra wonderful thing about them, and what's something else so that it could be just another way of augmenting my affection for them and my care for them. You know, when we think about doing meta meditations, which we'll do, I hope, later today, uh, you think about who's near to you and who's not so near to you, the best beloveds and then the not so best beloveds. And I think, how would it be so that everybody was a best beloved? Why not? because we would feel much better. I, and I, I guess what I'm saying is that to the degree that I've, something has become personalized and I know the person, then they become real, you know, vaccines. Oh, that's what Sarah does. How good about that? I'm hopeful that you're thinking about some of these ideas because when we sit in a minute, Maybe we had better sit soon because the time otherwise. I'd like to give you a, a, a special um, instruction for the sitting. Normally, uh, often, there are 
instructions, um, and I do them all the time. The one I'm going to give you is not such an everyday one. Um, and the, a, an instruction that's geared to calm the mind down and keep it awake at the same time. One piece of what I'm now thinking is folklore is thinking that, uh, because I heard it from my teachers who heard it from their teachers and you can read it in books, but I'm not sure it's true. So I'm telling you all of this as a caveat, um, is that mindfulness is a combination of concentration meditation and awareness meditation, that you're meant to concentrate and concentrate and concentrate uh, and make your mind, uh, allow your mind to steady itself, steady itself, steady itself. If you continued with that, so the steadying itself, and more and more concentration, what happens? And as part of my own experience is what happens is the rest of the life really disappears. And uh, things like the energy systems in your own body appear and you feel different intense sensations like a tremendous liveliness in the body or a tremendous equanimity in the body. And in the mindfulness meditation, you're meant to really relax, but not relax so that you tune out the world. Relax so that you stay aware of the world. And uh, that it was, uh, as I heard it all the time, and as I understood it, maybe I misunderstood it, the idea was that you needed to be relaxed in order to really be aware of what's happening in the world, really let it in, how any of those things, how everything that arises passes away, that everything is interrelated, which means that every single thing that we do has consequences, that suffering is inevitably part of the life experience just because things are always changing. Those are the three marks of experience that, uh, that everything is changing, everything is prone to give way to suffering because we're always losing what was happening and it's changing, it's getting more difficult, something else, other feelings of anger are arising, feelings of jealousy are arising. It's hard to keep the mind steady and it's often unsteady and wandering into confusion. So to keep the mind steady enough to see what's going on in the world so that it can see it clearly how much the very life experience is shot through with dealing with loss and dealing with suffering so that we can respond to it and realizing also how every single thing I do, given the interrelatedness of everything, has to do is a factor in what happens next. I am not, I, am, I, I appear in this moment as I am, am because of every single thing that's ever happened in my life and really in everybody else's that's had anything to do with me's life, that everything depends in the moment on every factor that's, that's, that's uh, gone into it being here. And what I do makes a difference. Even if I don't do anything, I remember the first times I was having a real intimation of, um, what it meant, anything you do has ramifications in the whole world, I thought. And you might accidentally do something that caused suffering. Uh, I thought to myself, oh, I better not do anything because 
you know, it might cause suffering, then I think not doing anything could cause suffering because what if I don't vote? And my vote is important. There are things that you need to do. Um, somebody said to me the other day, I hear that people are managing to get their uh, vaccinations before they're actually uh, eligible for them. But I can't bring myself to do that. I, I could do something. I know someone, or I could say I'm in one of those lines of work. But I don't want to do it because I'm thinking, what if my vaccination causes somebody who really is more susceptible and is eligible to have it, doesn't get it because of me? That's really an awareness. Gandhi used to say before doing anything, think about how is what I'm about to do going to infect, affect the poorest person on earth? So they, ah. So I think about the degree to which knowing all those things, the Buddha said, if we really got it about change, about suffering, about interrelationship, we would so be buoyed up by the connection with everyone and so um, uh, attentive to not causing pain and so aware that there's nothing but this moment in which to do it, that we would be liberated from suffering. We would just behave with utmost kindness all the time. So the reason I told you all this is because this has to do with what he's, what the Buddha is saying is if you really got it about things changing, about the suffering that's inherent in a life that's really continual change and in the fact that we're all interconnected, you just have to get it better. I remember hearing lectures on it, Dharma talks on it when I was first starting to practice and uh, I didn't get it so well. Uh, the interconnectedness part eluded me, I think, for probably a decade. Uh, I did get it about things change, but I was also worried about things changing, the parts of my life that were good. I come to see those are really enormous insights. And uh, in a way that I uh, mirrors the ones in the Four Noble Truths, which we talk about more. But I think for this morning, what I wanted to do was a meditation on arising and passing away. And on the arising and passing away of um, suffering, uncomfortableness, and annoyance about it, and the awareness of interconnectedness. So I thought I would give you some instructions just to sit comfortably and relax. And then I'll give you some instructions for noticing. I'll, I'll actually use the instruction, let the breath come in and out. And then I'll drop that and say, just let your body be there and rest in attention to what's going on. Just what's coming up moment to moment could be sensations in the body, sensations in the mind, thoughts, feelings, moods, and see if you can name them instead. And in the naming, 
if you can notice change. I'll remind you about that when we get up to that. I'll remind you about how that goes when we get up to it. But let's begin by sitting in a way that's comfortable. You might need, if you've been sitting for an hour, we have been sitting for an hour, to stand up and stretch and then sit back down. See if you want to do that, stretch your back and then sit back down. Refix yourself so you're sitting up straighter. I think it's a good idea to close your eyes. When we look at each other in all our different spaces, that's a meditation with open eyes. But this one I think is better close eyes. And let your breath come in and out. In the next few breaths, as your breath is going out, say to yourself, relax. And watch how as your mind gives that instruction to your body, it's a prompt and it happens. Your body knows how to do that. And unless there's some other very compelling body sensation happening, let your attention rest just in the breath coming in and out. I think you'll notice after a few breaths that you begin to experience a little bit of a space between the end of the breath as it ends, breathe out, and the arising of the next breath. And maybe as the breath starts up, the next breath, you can say to yourself, 
beginning. Then the breath goes through all its iterations and then it disappears. You can say ending. Then there's a little space and a breath arises out of nowhere or out of all the complicated chemistry that causes it to arise. Say arising, beginning, and ending. If as you're sitting, some other feeling becomes apparent, arises. I notice that as I'm sitting and paying attention to just the breath, that I suddenly feel that my, um, my face is warm. And so that started, I just noticed that. I'm thinking to my face, Myself, ah, face starting. Now notice, face is warm. And then not so much, it's gone. So you're doing at least two things. You're really relaxing into the moment, attentive to what's happening, and you're being particularly attentive to starting and ending. Different feelings will start and end in your body, and in your mind, you're likely to be, um, I can imagine, uh, maybe interested, then maybe not so interested, or then maybe sleepy, or something else. It's not so important what it is. It's important to be aware that something is happening, that something is starting and then notice when it ends or seems to be replaced by something else. Thoughts also have beginnings and ends and thoughts continue. And stop thinking uh, a note, a notation, a recognition isn't a thought so much. It's a, it's a mental construct. So of course it's a, 
that kind of a thought. But a thought like, I wonder how long we're going to sit like this. Oh, that thought. Okay, that ended. I don't know. Now I'm breathing again and watching beginnings and ends. For a little while, let's just sit, noticing that everything that arises passes away. And we'll probably sit about 10 minutes.
When you're ready, you can open your eyes. If you're looking as I am on the gallery view, look at all the people. I've always found that um, when I open my eyes after some period of uh, meditation and I look at the people in the room when we're together in a room or online like this, that I see them better after I've been sitting a little bit and gathering myself together. That uh, I, I also have a, um, I have a theory that they, everybody looks more beautiful afterwards. But, you know, I think everybody just looks more like themselves. And maybe we know that or something. So we can't, um, we can't really say because of the um, way we're recording today, what was your experience? But uh, you could say, were you able to see the, the idea? Did you have the idea of things ending, everything ends? Was that pretty clear? Yes. Let's see, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because thoughts, because everything ends. Thoughts end, uh, feelings end, pleasant and unpleasant ends. For how many people was it sometimes pleasant and sometimes unpleasant? <laughs> see, that's probably a very important finding. We, um, we sat for 10 minutes. And it wasn't all pleasant, sometimes pleasant, sometimes unpleasant. I think about it, uh, you're not meant to be counting how much pleasant or unpleasant, nor is it meant that every single sentence, every single second of it should be pleasant. It's really a lesson that when we say, well, I had a mixed experience, some of it was pleasant and some of it was not. That seems pretty normal for life, that some of it was pleasant and some of it was not. And maybe that's, in a sense, a, a re-saying of the Buddha's most profound teaching, that everything is shot through with unpleasant. And unpleasant itself is that when I first started to teach, I remember teaching uh, the, the First Noble Truth, the way I learned it 45 years ago, which was really in the early texts that were uh, uh, just had just been recently been translated from the Pali. I'm looking for my small. Um, I have an original text from uh, translated into English, and it says the first level truth uh, is uh, life is a constant misery, and uh, misery is a bad word. We don't say misery and or suffering. And what they meant to say is that you can't get yourself permanently comfortable. However you are, something else will happen. That's what happens you, you, you're really enjoying eating. And then you're full and you don't feel like eating anymore. So to eat would be miserable. And then to really say, oh, that's, I wish I had more room because this is such good food. So that's a moment of miserable because of the desire that you can't really, that you can't really fulfill. But it's, it's really looking at it from the point of view of uh, uh, not noticing that it's also spectacular and beautiful and wonderful. And uh, when I first started to teach, I uh, spent 
uh, one of the places I taught 40 years ago was at the Dominican College in San Rafael. And uh, it was a period of um, uh, just, at, well, 40 years ago still, after the Second World War, even a, a time coming on to the Cold War was not so urgent at that point. Um, the people in the class were by and large students from Marin County who had by and large sheltered lives. And so quoting the Buddha about life is suffering, they hadn't had much suffering, these 18-year-olds. And I had to say, you know, did anything ever happen that made you really sad, that you really missed in your life? 18-year-olds in Marin County, they had reasonably uh, affluent families. They, it wasn't a time of turmoil. It wasn't a, it wasn't a uh, pandemic. I had to talk about, uh, well, did you ever have a pet that died or a, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend that stopped liking you? Uh, I think when you get older, you have a different sense of uh, not so much every moment is a disappointment, but their life is considerably, continually challenging and disappointing. It's also wonderful and spectacular. One of the things that happened be, in terms of beginnings and passings away, I remember that class uh, at some point, I was—I think I was sounding too gloomy with emphasizing on the on the uh, sad things and the disruptive things in life. And somebody raised their hand, and I, uh, you know, with a question, and I, you know, I went to answer it. And uh, the question was, "Do Buddhists have birthday parties?" And I must have been being so grim, you know, that they want to know you ever celebrate, you ever laugh, you ever have a party with people. I say, yes, Buddhists have birthday parties. Uh, and they also know that they better be enjoying, I mean, I, I guess if you were really a Buddhist or if you really understood the Dharma, um, I think that's a better word than a Buddhist because plenty of people who aren't allied with Buddhism get it about the Dharma. For everybody, wherever they are in any religious tradition, Things arise and pass away. There is uh, the continual challenge of growing up and living in a world. I often uh, talk about my grandfather who never heard of the Buddha and uh, who was not at all schooled or literate, but was something of a life philosopher who lived to be almost 100. And uh, he would say things after some terrible thing what happened, like my mother's death long before he died, he would say, it's very hard to be a person. And I think that's the same as what the Buddha said about the first noble truth, is it's very hard to be a person. That means really a decent person who, who continues to be alive and relevant and connected to the world and caring. Maybe I should start to say the Buddha said, these words and my grandfather said it's very hard to be a person because we're so often disappointed and we have to deal with it and we have to deal also uh with 
how uh, with uncomfortable feelings in the mind with aversion in the mind things we really don't like things we're really frightened or mad at so i wanted to do uh, by the way i hope you you really enjoyed that uh the things arising and passing away because i haven't done that in a long time myself as a meditation and i enjoyed it when i was doing it i thought this is really interesting because this whole thing is arising and passing away and people are probably thinking, how long am I sitting and when is it going to end? Oh, and I remembered when I thought that, I was thinking, how many times in my life I've become impatient because the email that was supposed to be in my box this morning isn't there. Anybody ever got impatient about that? They said they'd send an email and they didn't do it. They said the Amazon said that pa package was going to come yesterday and it didn't come. Anybody ever... <laughs> Like Amazon operates just to keep me happy, right? <laughs> you have to take it personally. So, uh, you know, the Amazon didn't come today. It'll come tomorrow. And I probably don't need it that vitally anyway. But if my mind was always wise, I would remember it'll come when it comes. Maybe not today. Uh, um, the biggest thing about knowing about things arise and pass away is that I think that if we realize about how fleeting life is and how fleeting every day of it is, that we would stop being contentious, which is really the fundamental teaching uh, of, this is the third time this morning, I said, this is what the Buddha really taught. This is what the Buddha really taught. What he really taught is the first line of the first loving kindness meditation I ever learned, which is, may I be free of enmity and danger. And I th first thought when I first heard that, that it meant, may I be free of enmity, meant may nobody be coming after me. I may, may, I, may, may I be free of somebody else's enmity towards me, because that's what it sounds like. May nobody come after me. But I realized after some not so long time that the enmity I wanted to be free of is with the enmity in me about what's happening, not to be mad at what's happening. That line from the Buddha is, anyone who understands impermanence ceases to be contentious. And I realized things are impermanent. They happen when they happen. They didn't happen yet. They didn't happen yet. They're not happening when I want to. It's because this is not the time that they can happen. Things happen when the necessary and sufficient conditions have been met. If I get upset now about what didn't arrive in the mail, I will have upset myself gratuitously and this day will pass. The only moment that I have to be contented and happy in is this one. Not I'll do it tomorrow, I'll be contented and happy. I think it does a lot about patience. I want to tell you one story, though, that doesn't... In case I told too many stories about how this pandemic has helped me be a kinder and a better and a more benevolent person, and more open to other people and 
all of those things. <laughs> I want to tell you that I am nowhere near finished with getting rid of enmity and love. And uh, maybe I'll tell you the story first and then we'll, uh, because I am going to do meta in a certain way today. So I told you all the stories about I'm happy the leaf blower has um, a job. I'm happy the Amazon people have jobs. I'm happy the hospice worker does such a good job when, and they really do come wonderfully well. I'm happy for the support of all of my friends and Spirit Rock throughout the time of my husband's dying. There are a lot of things that I'm really content about and happy about. I think, lest I think, oh, see that? I've really learned that about not entertaining any enmity in my mind. That's not true. So now I'm gonna tell you a story and you can think about, <laughs> I'm gonna say you can send me an email, but don't send me an email. I'll tell you the story. Uh, I had a phone call the other day from a person that I, I, I know, a person that I know lives far away, the other end of the continent. And uh, I'm not even gonna say their name, but I had a, uh, uh, that person had become aware of Seymour's death through all the various ways that people get to know things. And they called me to say, I'm so sorry, we knew each other a little bit, this person and I, over 10 years. We cross each other's paths professionally sometimes and other ways and saw each other in person, I don't know, 10, 15 times in all these years. Nice person, I like them, they like me. And uh, they said we just, I decided to call because I wanted to talk to you in person and bring up to date, tell you what I've been doing, told me what they've been doing. I told them what I've been doing. And then we're having a nice conversation. I felt very warmly towards this person. And then I said, I feel very good these days because I've just uh, had my second COVID uh, vaccination last week. I said, how about you? Because also a person over 65. How about you? Have you had your second COVID? Uh, have you had your vaccinations yet? They said, oh, I'm not having a vaccination. I decided not to have it. I don't like vaccinations. I never even get a flu vaccination. I never get the flu. I never get sick. My partner's not doing it either. They never get sick. They never get the flu. They don't want the COVID. So I just pause a minute. You could have a thought about what do you think I thought about <laughs> how about the spacious mind? How about <laughs> how about compassion for all beings? All of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, I see a lot of people are laughing. All of a sudden, I'm thinking, how can I get out of this phone call? <laughs> and I say something like. Uh, many people feel <laughs> that uh, even that they're in prime health and things don't happen to them, that it behooves them to get vaccinated on behalf of everybody else. Nah, I don't think that. I'm thinking, when can I get off this phone call before I say something not good? <laughs> and then I this uh, the phone call continues for some some little amount of time, probably littler than it would have under other circumstances. 
but on some other topics, because if we talk every six months or a year, I certainly want to leave it on a good, and I don't want to say anything hurtful. Uh, and it wasn't do any good either. I already said, I'm very happy to have the vaccinations. So he ended the phone call and it was on my mind. I kept thinking, how can I be doing that? How can I be doing that? And I try everything I know. Well, you know, people have different ideas. You know, they, they can have a different idea. Then I think, no, they can't. It's not right because everybody else is depending on them getting the vaccination. And I was thinking, and, and this morning I had thought that at the end of the time together, we would do um, a metta meditation together, which the Buddha taught as being uh, the antidote to negative states that uh, it was really taught originally as a kind of a magic amulet um, that people who practice metta, what, the seventh, 13 things that happen. People who practice metta sleep peacefully, wake peacefully, dream peaceful dreams. People love them. Angels love them. Angels will protect them. Poisons and weapons and fire won't harm them. Their faces are clear. Their minds are serene. They die unconfused, and when they die, their rebirth is in heavenly realms. So that's lovely, and I love it. And I've taught it lots and lots of times. And I've taught uh, the, uh, the loving kindness meditations. May I be free from danger and suffering. May my, uh, may my kin be free. May my friends be free. May uh, people I hardly know, but I recognize, may they be free of suffering. And I have not spent so much time on people who I have for some reason put out of my sphere of affection. Because I thought if they're out of my sphere of affection, it's probably because of some reason that they frightened me. Like that much I figured out, this person, suppose half the United States feels like this person does. So that's a frightening thought to me. Then I thought this morning, no, no, I bet if I sit and wish them well with their partner well and wish myself well, maybe my mind will mysteriously relax and I'll get to appreciate their point of view. So uh, does that make sense to any of you? So we're going to see. So I, I'm doing a homework for me. But how about you pick out somebody in your sphere that you're not crazy about? This person has not become my enemy. I value the work we did together. <laughs> but I don't want to talk to them soon. <laughs> and also, I want really to wish them well. Did anybody resonate to that story or have I completely blown my cover as a Dharma teacher? <laughs> it's all right with you that I don't have a boundless heart of compassion all the time. <laughs> Good, because I don't. Um, I think I have more of a boundless heart of compassion than I used to have, but uh, not completely. Maybe it's going to happen. So that's what I'd like to invite you to join with me in uh, uh, guided 
meditation for the rest of our time together, which is getting short. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be back. I'm really happy about that. Okay, here we go. Uh, you know what? Open your eyes. I'm just going to say close the eyes, but I realize I want to open mine. Open your eyes and just for a minute, look at all these people. Look at all the other pages. See people that you know and don't know. Who have invited you into their homes. That's far out. We're in all these people's homes. Oh, I see a lot of people that I didn't see before. That is so cool. Okay, now I can close my eyes and you can too. I think all those people and all of us will go forth from here in uh, 20 minutes into the rest of our lives. We'll disappear off this off this video connection, zip back into all of our lives all over the globe. And then everybody that we meet for the rest of the day and talk to and interact with will be part of the people that we present ourselves to. I have understood better than ever the phrase, may the merit of my practice be for the benef my benefit and for the benefit of all beings. If I am free of enmity and danger, the danger it poses enmity of confusing my mind. If I am free of enmity, then my contribution to the to everything is a contribution of love. In the moments that I am free of enmity, I am making a contribution to the well-being of the world. Some of you have done metta practice before and others have not. Probably you have particular words that you say if you have done it before. Here's a set of words that for a while I use most of all. I, then I, they come to mind as I sit with all of you. So I will say them and I'll say, may I, and in your own mind, you say, may I to you as you repeat it. And if you're, since you're everybody on mute, if you want to say it out loud to yourself, you can do that too. 
may I feel protected and safe. May I feel contented and pleased. May my physical body support me with strength. May my life unfold smoothly with ease. Protected and safe. Contented and pleased. Supported by strength. Living with ease. Imagine that you bring into your inner line of sight, into your mind, your kin, sisters and brothers, mothers and fathers, nieces and nephews, sons and daughters, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, may you feel protected and safe. May you feel contented and pleased. May your physical body support you with strength. May your life unfold smoothly with ease.
Sylvia, I think you're unmuted. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, was it entirely unmuted or just the last two minutes? Just a minute or two. It was it was quick. Okay. It's a good thing that with Meta it doesn't matter <laughs> because you can start wherever you were. You can say to yourself, and let's do say to ourselves, all those people I've pictured and brought into my heart and uh, that I see in my mind, may they all feel safe and protected and contented and pleased and strong. May they all live with ease. Pick one person for in your life who you don't think about often. So they're not your best friends or your kin. I often pick um, the woman who's the postmaster at my, um, at the Kenfield post office, the small post office and I know her for years. Or I pick the person who cuts my hair, who I don't think about on a daily basis, but when I do think about, I feel very good about. Or the crossing guard at the corner of my street that's been there for some years, crossing people over and back who I don't think about except when I see them on the corner. May all of these beings in my mind feel safe and protected, contented and pleased. Supported with strength. May they live with ease. And now if there's anybody in the whole universe of people you know, as all, most of the people I don't know, but people you know who are not so people who cause pain in your mind when you think about them. That's a good way to put it. People who cause pain in your mind when you think about them. If you have anyone in your mind who causes pain in your mind when you think about them. See if you can also invite them 
into this, I hope, crowd of people to whom you've wished wholehearted wellness. And see what you can feel as you imagine them, see them, and say words in your mind or out loud to them. May you feel protected and safe. May you feel contented and pleased. May your physical body support you with strength. May your life unfold smoothly with ease. May you feel protected and safe. May you feel contented and pleased. May your physical body support you with strength. May your life unfold smoothly with ease. Now open your eyes again and look at all the people in the room. In all their rooms and all over the world. And let's think for all of them. May all of you feel protected and safe. May all of you feel contented and pleased. May your bodies support you with strength. May your lives unfold with ease. What a pleasure it's been for me to be here with you all. And to practice together.
by the fact that we came together and um, spent time listening to the wisdom of the Buddha, the wisdom of Dharma, the wisdom of Dharma as it came from Mary Oliver and um, Mahatma Gandhi and uh, anybody else that I may have quoted. May that go with us as we may the merit of our practice together go with us as we go into our lives out from these rooms and I hope for most of you more and more out of your houses and into the shared common space of the world. May we all be sustained. May we all feel safe, protected, and contented and pleased and strong and live with ease. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.